awesome day, beautiful day. It's great to be here and fellowshipping and amen. All right, so super church, run away. Don't run, walk. Walk briskly with a purpose. Now break into a sprint. Okay, here we go. All right, so listen, in my previous sermon, if you guys were there at the picnic, I, I preached about Hannah, and I was preaching about her prayer, and that God answers the prayer of this woman named Hannah, and he fulfills her desire, and she has a child. She's praying for a child. And she was blessed with a son and promised to dedicate him to the service of the Lord for a lifetime. And this child's name was Samuel. And eventually her husband brought him to the high priest Eli, her and her husband, uh, where Eli, and he became Eli's assistant, and he became the Lord's helper. But what's next, and these events really just follow what I just preached. Uh, the, what happens really next has more to do with Eli than it does to do with Samuel. But still, during these events to follow, Samuel was growing in the Lord, saw an example of how the Lord deals with unrighteousness. He was used by God to speak the truth. God was raising Samuel up to be a leader, a prophet, and a judge to the nation of Israel. But first, there were matters to attend to. And the Lord was going to deal with some unrighteous actions, very serious stuff, very serious matter that was taking place in the tabernacle. It involved greed, it involved disrespect, it involved disobedience concerning the Lord's instruction. And it involved two priests, priests who were brothers. And to make matters worse, these two brothers were sons of the high priest, Eli. And their names were Ahopni and Phineas, and that's as close as I'm going to get to the real pronunciation. <laughs> hey, you look at and add an ER into the end. So, but, and they, but these two were about to be called on the carpet along with their father by God. Now, as these plans start, God's plan starts to unfold and the, the actions taken and we see the sin and we see what's going on. I have three, three things that I'm going to point out today. Three things that I think that we can glean from as the local assembly, as the body of Christ. And to begin with, we've got to start with how God's word describes the sons of Eli. And the King James Version, 1 Samuel 2.12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Listen, that was like end of story when he says that. They were the sons of Belial. What does Belial have to do with Christ? Nothing. Belial is like the devil, okay? So, they're described as sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. The NIV says, Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork while the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling. The servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever is brought up be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. <coughs> Excuse me. Sometimes a servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. And the servant would demand, no, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. 
They were stealing from the Lord and somehow they were thinking they were entitled to it. And this took place, and I keep saying the tabernacle, which is actually a temporary place of worship until the temple was later constructed. But it was in this place of worship that they were being more than disobedient because they even to the point of they were seducing some of the women who served there. These guys didn't care about righteousness, didn't care about holiness. The only thing they cared about was fulfilling their fleshly desires. And it's also important to understand when it comes to these two, they would not have been ignorant about who God is or what God required. They would have been very familiar with the consequences that had befallen the sons of Aaron who offered strange fire and fire came out and killed them because sons of Aaron were their ancestors. Aaron was their ancestor. The Lord had found with the sons of Aaron the defense had killed them and now Eli's sons were on the same path. And it's hard to imagine that with that knowledge, and they know how God reacts to unrighteousness, that they would choose to walk in the flesh, to make selfish decisions, to go against God's commands. It's hard to understand, but even today we see that. We see that with people who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They choose selfish, sinful over God. We know that as Christians, and the Bible promises in 1 Corinthians that God will not let us be tempted with more than we can bear and that he will provide a way out. This is a promise. But listen, to stand on that promise, we have to be proactive. To stand on that promise, you know that there's going to be a way provided out. You've got to look for it and take it. When you get to that crossroads and you're looking for the godly path, first of all, you've got to be looking for the godly path and not content with living in sin, not content with chaos over peace, not content with being miserable sometimes, not content with being depressed and in despair and in anxiety, not content with existing and not living. When you get to that crossroads, you have to look for the godly way and you've got to choose to take it. It's what I was talking about fighting earlier. It's a choice. You can lay down and let the devil steamroll you with temptation, or you can stand up because God's given you strength there and choose the right way. We all have it if you're a child of God. Listen, when we choose the godly way, when we look for that way out, and we're standing on the promises of God, we're actually submitting to God and not to the flesh. We're actually choosing holiness over selfishness. This battle I'm describing is a battle for those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. These guys are called children of Belial. These guys are called children of the devil. And God's going to clean house when it comes to them. They were going to be held responsible for their action, and sadly their father was too, in a different fashion though. And 1 Samuel 2.22, it says, Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. And he said to them, I've been hearing reports from the people about wicked things that you're doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. 
If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons would not listen to the father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Some would read this and go, okay, Eli did his deal, called it out. Listen, he knew what they were doing. He knew they were disrespecting God. He knew they were disrespecting God's instruction. He questions and warns them, but then doesn't do anything about it. He's guilty of sinning because he gave his sons a talking to, and that was it. He is the father, but he's also the high priest with the power, but doesn't use it to have them removed from their duties. There's no punishment or acknowledgement that they need to be stopped. And with his exhortation about coming back to the path of righteousness, he doesn't back it up. He doesn't do anything. His job was not done because he spoke to them about it. There was more required. And he's getting a double whammy here, because not only is he a high priest with the duty to righteous, but he's also the father who's expected to discipline his children. We know that as children of God, God disciplines us. And sometimes it's harshly, but it's always with the design to conform us to the image of Christ. We are expected in turn to discipline our children with the end goal of having children who know God and honor him in their life. Lives, excuse me. In this, Eli failed. These two were honoring themselves over God. Eli knew that they were blaspheming and was well aware of what God might do, but he doesn't take action. And he not only gets rebuked for it, but he pays a hefty price. And God uses the prophet to confront Eli and to render judgment upon him. In 1 Samuel 2.27, he says, One day a prophet came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord. And it starts off with, Didn't I reveal myself to your ancestors when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt? I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all his relatives to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incest, and to wear the priestly garments as he served me. And I assign sacrificial offerings to you priests. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you honor your sons more than me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, the terrible things you are doing cannot continue. I had promised that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be priests, but I will honor only those who honor me, and I will despise those who despise me. I will put an end to your family so it will no longer serve as my priest. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will live to a ripe old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. Those who are left alive will live in sadness and grief. Their children will die a violent death. And to prove you that what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. Yowzer. That is quite the judgment. And he starts the whole conversation with, listen, what about this blessing that I bestowed upon you and Aaron and I gave you the ability to honor me and to serve me? 
He had honored the family by letting them be the priests to do the sacrificial offerings. He provided all that they needed, but now the sanctuary had been desecrated by his sons and things were going to change big time because God said, I am only going to honor those who honor me. And those who scorn me, I will demean. And he comes right at Eli and he questions his judgment. And he says to him, why do you honor your sons more than me? And Eli knew this. He knew he was doing this. And he was letting them satisfy their desires instead of upholding righteousness. He was honoring them over God. But why? Favoritism. There were his sons. You know, in today's culture, there's a word for showing favoritism to relatives and acquaintances called nepotism. It's giving preferential, excuse me, treatment because you are in a position of power or influence. The Bible is way more broad when it when it addresses this. And it talks about Favoritism, really. In James 2, 1, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim that you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people more than others? That is a huge question. And this brings me to my first point. Avoid favoritism. The Bible says don't show favoritism. Making choices based on favoritism shows wrong motivation, Making choice based on favoritism can cause someone to overlook someone's sin because they like them. They're related to them. They're close to them. So they don't call them out. It can cause somebody to avoid taking righteous action because you're showing them favoritism. Listen, if you're showing favoritism, not following God's word, then you are like Eli honoring that person over Jesus Christ. Sorry, that's it. And then who's sinning then? Here's a warning to heed. If you are showing favoritism, disregarding a person's unrepentant sin, then don't expect a good outcome. Don't expect peace in your life. Don't expect fruit. Here's what you can expect to God to get your attention. And sometimes that's not fun. And here's a general statement. If you're in the body of Christ and you see favoritism, call it out. If you see sin, call it out. Listen, we are not in the world and of the world. We are in the world and not of the world. Call it out. Not calling it out to destroy. You're calling it out to help somebody come back into the path of righteousness. When you operate in favoritism, a lot of times you get stuck in enabling somebody to remain disabled because no one will ever say anything to the person. So I how the Bible works.
Don't be afraid to hold people accountable. It's wise for us to remember that there are consequences for favoritism. Eli knew they were coming. Man, he was waiting for the hammer to come down. He was waiting for it to drop. And before it comes down, before the consequences begin, God uses another prophet to go tell Eli, here they come. And this time he's using Samuel. And this is like Samuel's debut, okay? So he hears from God and becomes a mouth for, for God when he's speaking God's truth to Eli. And this is what Samuel hears, 1 Samuel 3.11. God said to Samuel, listen carefully, I'm getting ready to do something in Israel that's going to shake everyone up and get their attention. The time has come for me to bring down on Eli's family everything I warned him of, every last word. I'm not letting him know that, oh, excuse me, I'm letting him know that the time's up. I'm bringing judgment on his family for good. He knew what was going on, that his sons were desecrating God's name. So listen, it was time. It was time. The consequences were going to start happening. And but Eli's response to this really shows his understanding of who God is, which makes you wonder, how could he do what he did if he really understands what God is? But he says he is God. Let him do whatever he thinks best. He knows he's not God. He knows God's going to do what God's going to do. And it all begins with this. It all begins in a battle because the Israelites and the Philistines were constantly at war. They're at war all the time. But the Israelites were used to what? Winning because God was on their side. So they go into this battle and 4,000 Israelites die. And they're like, what? So they start questioning, how could the Lord let this happen? How could 4,000 Israelites die? And we lose the battle. So they started racking their brain. And this is the answer that they come up with. We need the Ark of the Covenant. And they come up with, if we carry it into battle, it'll save us from our enemies. Duh. Why don't we bring it to begin with? Listen, these people had grown so accustomed to bringing the Ark that they had forgotten where the real power resided. It was the Lord that was giving them victory. It was the Lord that was battling for them. The ark may have been a tool that the Lord used, but they weren't supposed to be relying on the ark of the covenant. They were supposed to be relying on the Lord. It was a provision for him. It was a provision that began to take people's eyes off of God and off of the ark, and, on, and put on the ark. Listen, sitting here today, this is an area we have to be very careful because we have to ask ourselves, what are we trusting in? We have to ask ourselves, has provision of what God has given us taken our eyes off of God? And I think for many of you, you're going to say and understand this when I say this, in some cases, yes. In some cases, God provides so much that people stop fellowshipping, they start coming to church, they don't pray as much, they get wrapped up in feeling good. You think God's provided you your house and everything else you have just so you can have a, a really hunky-dory kind of life and not worry about any stress? You don't think God wants you to use the provision that he's given you to further the kingdom of God, to see souls saved, to, 
to share his word, to teach his word? You don't think he wants you to open your doors and do that? You don't think he wants you to use the wealth that you've been provided to go forward for the kingdom of God? I, give me a break. See, we have, a, we have a problem in this country. It's called white knuckle. We get it, we want to keep it. God's given it, so we'll use it. For the right reasons. It's wise to ask ourselves, what are we actually worshiping? It's wise to ask ourselves, when the storm comes, are we really relying on the supernatural power of God or are we running to the things in the world first, trying to figure it out? And when everything else falls apart, when everything goes through the cracks, when there's nothing left and we're in despair and we're depressed and we finally cry out to God. Well, listen, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And this is my second point. Be mindful of what you're focusing on. Be mindful of where your focus is. It's easy to start in the right place. Then it's easy to be drawn away from Jesus Christ. We need to take care of what God has given us, but not to the point of forgetting about God. We need to be careful with coveting things like money. And I know we use and we go and we use the words like, oh, we got to be wise and we got to be good stewards. And, and listen, there's truth to all that, but it also can be used in excuses as we abuse those words to grasp onto what we have and never let go. Be careful. Area where we need to check ourselves. How do you know you're focusing on the wrong thing? A few questions we can ask ourselves. What's your time spent on? Are you concerned at all with growing in the Lord or the salvation of the eternal salvation of the lost? Do you feel like you're going through the motions or are you really feeling spiritually drained? Are you producing any fruit for the kingdom? Are you helping people grow in the Lord? Are you leading, have you led someone to Christ? Are you even talking about Jesus Christ? And if listen, if those last three have no's, ding, 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 there's an issue. I think you'll find that if we're focused on the wrong thing, these questions that I'm asking you are bothering you. And if you're focused on the wrong thing, these questions that I'm asking, you already got excuses going on to every one of them. There's a few more. Are you dependent on others more than you are on Jesus Christ? How about this one? If you think about God's provision in your house, in your finances, in your car, and he takes it all away, what does that make you feel like? Just the thought of that. Does your anxiety level go up to here? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away.
Listen, if, if I'm pushing buttons here, amen. And if it's becoming clear to you that you may not be focusing you know, on the right thing, you may not be trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ like you should be, then I just want to say to you, it's time to wake up. It's time to realize who you are in Christ. It's time to realize the power that's at your disposal. It's time to know that everything you have belongs to God anyways. Don't fall in the world trap, man, thinking, oh, I earned it. I get to keep it. It's time to realize where your focus is, where it should be, and put it there. And let me say this. Just don't talk about it. Do it. We do a lot of talking and not enough action. A lot of the times that comes to repentance too, right? We talk about it, but we just don't do it. Consequences that the Lord foretold to Eli were beginning to unfold, and people were mistakenly depending on the ark for victory. And guess who helped them carry it into the camp? Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. And scripture says that when the Israelites saw the ark come into the camp, they shouted so loudly that the ground shook and the Philistines took notice. They were afraid, but it worked against them because the Philistines were so fired up and afraid of the ark because they thought it meant their defeat that they started fighting like maniacs. And guess what? They won. And 30,000 Israelites died because the Israelites were trusting in the wrong thing. They weren't trusting in the Lord. And the penalties for Eli's sin became reality. And that day, both his sons were killed. And while that battle was going on, Eli was in the background. And as the battle was unfolding, he was waiting eagerly for the news to come back. And he was 98, he was blind. And when the messenger informed him that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines and that both sons were dead, Samuel 4.18 says this, he, he, Eli fell backwards from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was old and very fat, and he had led Israel for 40 years. So he dies, breaks his neck. Shortly after that, Eli's daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, went into labor and died in childbirth. So Eli's son's dead, Eli's dead, his daughter-in-law's dead, and the ripple of, of his consequences are starting to move out. And for Eli, they were far-reaching. They would not only affect him, but they were going to affect all his descendants. God tells him that he's going to raise another priest up, someone who actually listens to him. And that it's not going to stop there, because in 1 Samuel 2.36 it says, Then all of your descendants, talking to Eli, will bow before his descendants begging for money and food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests so we'll have enough to eat. That's what you would call pretty far-reaching. All of his descendants were going to suffer because of the choices that he made. This brings me to my third and final point. How far-reaching is the consequences of our sin? See, for Eli, they affected all his descendants, but this is something to bear in mind when it comes to sin. We know as a child of God there's consequences for it. How far-reaching are they? And here's the other thing. Just because you haven't seen consequences for sin that you're involved with now, say, doesn't mean they're not coming. 
See, Eli 100% knew God was a, a man, a God of his word, I should say, right? So he knew they were coming. He just waited for them to get there. So if you're in sin and you think you're getting away with something, eh, it's coming. You just don't know God's timing. We don't know that as a child of God, there will be we, we know there's going to be consequences. We don't know how far the ripples will reach out from our choices and our actions. It all sounds pretty harsh, but we have to remember this principle that we consistently see in the Old and the New Testament. And this principle is simply this. Repentance. Repentance. God wants people to repent. He wants them to make a decision for him. He wants them to change their actions. He wants them to go in the other direction. He wants them to stop playing in sin. He wants them to start choosing righteousness and holiness over selfishness and the flesh. This is what I was talking about. A lot of times people talk about it, but they don't actually do it. They talk about it, but they don't actually change direction. As a child of God, you have everything in you to choose righteousness, to choose holiness, to go in God's direction. Can I get an amen? Amen. I'm sick of the devil having a foothold because we let him have it. I rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ. God gives you everything you need to say no to temptation, to say no to addiction, to say no to anxiety, to say no to fear, to trust and rely on him. I have to walk that way. So today, if you're practicing favoritism, not doing what the Word of God is telling you to do, not focusing on the right thing, being drawn away from Jesus Christ by the things of the world, I'm just saying to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, stop. Stop. You're giving the devil a foothold. Stop. It's time to stop and go in the other direction. God's got a plan for everyone sitting here. He's got a plan for everyone sitting in these seats. What's hindering it? Or who's hindering it? Now they said in first service, not the pastor. Each one of us. It's time to stop if you're going in the wrong direction. And just because you haven't seen consequences yet, please don't get cocky. It doesn't mean they're not coming. Could be more far-reaching than you think. It's time for people to actually humble themselves before the Lord and to know that he's supplying everything, to refocus, because you can't do it on your own. You're not going to do it in your own strength. You're going to fight, but it's going to be in his strength, submitting to him. Time to recommit. It's time to, re- to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God and we are not. Time to repent. And watch what God will do. So I'm going to ask Kate to come up and just 
play a song. Just listen, take your time, and I'm going to do something with couples in one second. So, Kate, don't go anywhere from Monty yet. Please go back there for a second because I'm going to do something. And I, listen, we need to put Christ back where he belongs first. So, I, you know, I was saying and we were praying about the devil getting a foothold and praying against that at the end of service. And I sat down and I immediately got this picture. So I'm going to ask right now, if you have your spouse with you, that you would hold hands, that you would put your hands together, that you would put them in the air, put them high up in the air. Hold your hands together and put them in the air. Anastasia, no cheating. Oh, yeah. Listen, and seriously, all serious, amen, all seriousness. We need to rebuke the devil when he's trying to get in our marriages. We need to rebuke the devil when he's trying to get into our households. Lord, we just pray for your anointing on these marriages, Lord. We pray for a filling of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray that we would be in one accord, one flesh, as you have designed it, under your umbrella, walking in your power in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to move forward in one accord in your wisdom, Lord, leaning on your understanding, your knowledge, and not our own understanding. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out into these marriages, that you would protect us against temptation, Lord, that we would not be cocky, Lord, but that we would be humble, Lord, submitting to you and your spirit. So, Lord, we just thank you for these marriages. I pray that you would just bless us. Lord, let this be the beginning of some, just to walk forward together as you have designed it. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we all said... Amen. Kate, could you come up and just play something, please? And listen, service is over when, you, when you're done. If you don't want to pray anymore, if you feel like you don't want to sit here and pray, and you want to escape and go out and do worldly things, that's between you and God. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. That's, but listen, take a moment. Press into God. Let, I know as, God, as I've been speaking, God's been putting on some people's hearts things that need to change. Maybe you're not sure how to do that. Take a moment, go to God and say, listen, what do I need to do? And then listen for what he has to say. Amen.